0: Chapter eight of Half Past Bedtime by H. H. Bashford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight The Hill That Remembered. Cuthbert's friend Edgar Goldsmith was six months older than Cuthbert, but they were in the same form, which was the lowest but one, in Mr. Pendring's school. Most of the other boys thought him conceited, and so did Cuthbert and so he was but cuthbert had once been conceited himself and so he was able to sympathize with him besides being strong too and able to dive backward edward had given cuthbert his second best pocket-knife and that was why cuthbert resolved at last to introduce him to todd the gypsy that was a rather special thing to do because todd was rather a special sort of gypsy and cuthbert had never introduced him to anybody not even to doris although she had asked him to it was in the hospital just before he had had his tonsils out that cuthbert had first met tod and tod had told him not to be frightened because there was no need to be and it wouldn't do any good tod himself was often in hospital because he had consumption and had lost one of his lungs and besides that he was always getting knocked down or run over through being absent-minded. He was tall and thin with a lot of black hair that kept tumbling over his eyes, and his eyes were brown like a dog's eyes, only they were brighter and always laughing. When Cuthbert next met Todd he had been living in his little tent on the other side of Fair Barrow Down and Cuthbert had stayed there all night with him, and Todd had told him the names of the stars. Very early in the morning, when Cuthbert woke up, he had seen Todd kneeling in the dew, and a couple of wild rabbits nestling in his arms and smelling his clothes, just as if they had been tame ones. Then Todd had beckoned him with his head and whistled a peculiar sweet whistle, and a hare nearby had picked up her ears and come through the grass to have her back stroked. That whistle was one of Todd's secrets, and he knew lots more, and was always learning new ones, and when Cuthbert had told him about In-Between Land he said that he had been there, too, by another way. So it was rather a great thing for Cuthbert to promise Edward that he would introduce him to Todd the Gypsy and Edward was naturally rather impatient to go and find him and talk to him. But the difficulty was that Todd was always traveling about, and Cuthbert never knew where he was likely to be, and it wasn't until tea time on the third Monday of October that at last they found him quite by accident. Owing to one of Mr. Pendring's boys having won a medal for helping to save somebody's life, The whole school had been given an extra half-holiday, and Cuthbert and Edward had gone for a country walk. Already in the town most of the leaves had fallen and were lying in dirty heaps by the roadside, and the scraps of gardens in front of the houses were sodden and empty of flowers. But out in the country where the harvest was stacked men were drilling seed into the moist-smelling earth, the oaks and elms were still glowing with coppery or rusty red leaves the cottage gardens too were full of flowers clumps of starry michaelmas daisies and sheaves of dark-eyed golden sunflowers like bumblebees on fire but there were real fires about also as there always are when summer is over fires of weeds at the ends of the plough furrows and fires of potato stems in the kitchen gardens and it was over a little fire of sticks and dead leaves that they suddenly came upon todd the gypsy they were now about six miles from home at the foot of the long range of hills of which fairbarrow down with its close-cropped turf was the nearest to the town behind this the ground dipped a little and then became a hill called simon's knob and behind simon's knob rose the highest hill of all known as caesar's camp from caesar's camp on a very clear day it was just possible to see the sea And battles had been fought on all these hills hundreds and thousands of years before. Sometimes they had been held by the ancient Britons when they were fighting against each other, and sometimes they had been held by the ancient Britons when they were fighting against the Romans. Sometimes the Romans had held them when they were attacked by the Britons, and once the Britons had held them against the Saxons. And then, in their turn, the Saxons had held them when they were being attacked by the Danes, after that they had slept for hundreds of years with only the sheep to nibble their grass and an occasional shepherd shouting across them to his shaggy and wise-eyed sheep-dog the fiercest battle of all had been fought on caesar's camp from which the romans had driven away the britons and there was a great mound on it covered with grass in which the dead soldiers had been buried but that was nearly two thousand years ago And it had never looked more peaceful than on this autumn afternoon, with the baby moon peering above it and growing brighter as the daylight faded. It was a steep climb to the top of Caesar's camp, and the hill was guarded at the bottom by a fringe of elm-trees, and in front of these elm-trees there was a belt of bracken, reddened with decay, and reaching to the boy's shoulders. It had been rather fun to push their way through it, startling the rabbits and listening to the rooks, and it was in a little quarry among the elms that Todd the Gypsy had made his fire. Close to the fire he had spread some branches and a heap of bracken to make a mattress, and over this he had thrown his blanket and the little tarpaulin that made his tent. When they first caught sight of him he was humming a song and beating an accompaniment to himself on an empty biscuit-box where do the gypsies come from the gypsies come from egypt the fiery sun begot them their dam was the desert dry she lay there stripped and basking and gave them suck for the asking and an emperor's bone to play with whenever she heard them cry cuthbert introduced him to edward goldsmith and Todd held out a bony hand glad to meet you he said you're just in time for tea You'll have to share a mug, but there's lots of bread and jam." He was thinner than ever, but he had the same old trick of tossing his hair back from his eyes, and his eyes were as bright and gay and piercing as if they had just come back from some magic wash. While they were eating he sipped his tea and filled his pipe and went on singing. What did the gypsies do there? They built a tomb for Pharaoh. They built a tomb for Pharaoh, so tall it touched the sky. They buried him deep inside it, then let what would be tied it. They saddled their lean-ribbed ponies and left him there to die. He nodded his head toward the sides of the quarry, the overhanging trees and the hill beyond. And this is where they've left me, he said. Cuthbert stared at him. But you're not going to die, are you? pretty soon said tod he tapped his chest there's not much left you know in this old box of mine well you don't seem to mind much said edward i don't said tod and i'll tell you why i've just found out something that i've been looking for very nearly all my life he lit his pipe and leaned forward with the fire shining in his eyes the days were so short now that the dusk had already come and the firelight cast strange shadows over the little quarry. The boys drew closer to him, and he took from his waistcoat pocket a small box with a pinch of red powder in it. For twenty years, he said, I've been trying to make this powder, and at last I've succeeded, just in time. They bent over his hand and examined the powder. It was light as thistledown and smelt like cloves. Now look. He threw some on the fire, but the boys could see nothing except the crumbling leaves. (laughs) Todd laughed. Look a little higher, he said, and then in the smoke they suddenly saw a bird hovering, and then another bird, and another, and a couple of nests hanging faintly in the air. Now listen, said Todd, and above the whisper of the flames they could hear the soft sharpening of tiny beaks, and the sound of wings and the ghosts of Cheepings and Chirpings, as if they had been hundreds of miles away. Then they faded, and Todd leaned back, looking triumphantly at the two boys. But what were they? said Cuthbert. They were memories, said Todd. They were the memories of those dead leaves. But do leaves remember? asked Edward. Everything remembers, said Todd. Only nobody's been able to prove it. The ground we're sitting on, the fields you've come across, the hills above us, they're crammed with memories, and when they die, if they ever do die, these memories come crowding back to them, just like they do to a dying man, and it's this powder that makes them visible." He rose to his feet and looked about him. Of course those leaves, he said, were only a year old, and all that they remembered were just those birds. But look at this he picked up a piece of wood. This is the core of an old tree. This was a sapling three hundred years ago. He sprinkled the rest of the powder on it and threw it into the fire. For a minute or two nothing happened, and then high up they saw some more birds hovering, but presently as they looked they saw the figure of a man with his hair in ringlets hanging down over his shoulders. He wore a plumed hat and his sleeves were frilled and there was a sword at his belt, and he wore knee-breeches and stockings and jeweled buckles upon his shoes. He stood in mid-air, looking about him, and then he was joined by a figure of a girl. He took her in his arms, and then they faded away, and there instead was a peasant in a smock. They saw him lean forward and carve something in the air, as though he were cutting somebody's name upon a tree-trunk and then he too was gone and there were two children playing hide-and-seek in the wreathing smoke one was a little girl and she wore a mob cap and a long skirt drooping almost to her ankles and the other was a boy with a very short jacket and trousers that looked as if they had shrunk then they saw a fox with his ears pricked and one of his front paws lifted And then there was nothing again but the sides of the quarry and the deepening shadows of the elms." "'That's all,' said Todd, "'because I've no more powder. All the rest's up there.' He jerked his thumb toward the top of the hill, hidden away from them by the trees. "'Why is it up there?' asked Cuthbert. Todd stared at them as if he were trying to read their hearts. "'Have you courage?' he asked. It was a difficult question. They told him that they hoped so, but that they weren't quite sure. "'Well, if you have,' he said, "'and you'd like to come back here tonight, just about half-past twelve, you'll be able to see something that nobody alive has ever seen or will see again.' Cuthbert and Edward looked at one another. It would be a six-mile walk, and they would have to start about eleven o'clock, and they would have to go to bed first and creep out of their houses without anybody knowing. The moon would have sunk, too, so that it would be quite dark. They both felt a little queer inside, but they promised to come, and agreed to meet at eleven o'clock near St. Peter's Church. Cuthbert was there first, just before the clock struck. Everybody was in bed, and he had slipped out unnoticed. But his heart sank a little as he ran down the empty street, and saw no Edward at the corner waiting for him. But Edward came just as the clock struck, and the night seemed less dark now that there were two of them, and soon they were out of the town, running close together between the hedges of the country road. Once a motor-car came travelling toward them, almost blinding them with the glare of its headlamps. but after they had left the road and struck across the fields the night was so still that they could almost have heard a star drop it was so still that they spoke in whispers and so dark that they sometimes tripped and once when they stopped for a moment to take breath a star did drop and they almost heard it presently when their eyes became used to the darkness they could see the dim outline of the hills and the faint ribbon of the milky way rising like smoke from caesar's camp at the edge of the bracken they found Todd waiting for them Come along, he said, only don't go too fast. And they began to climb through the belt of trees out onto the hillside beyond. The grass was short here and slippery with dew, with glimmers of chalk beneath it where the turf was broken, and it was so steep that halfway up Todd stopped to fight for his breath. It's all right, he said. I'll be better in a moment. And as they stood waiting for him and looking back, The country behind them seemed to have vanished into a lake of darkness. Then they began to climb again, their boots slipping, and suddenly as they climbed they smelt a new smell—a strange sort of acrid, sweet smell, as of turf fires burning above them. "'Yes,' said Todd. "'I was up there an hour ago. I've lit half a dozen fires.' At the top of the hill he dropped down for a moment close to a large white stone. He lit a match and looked at his watch. Ten minutes to one,' he said. "'We're just in time.' They were now in a sort of trench or grassy moat that encircled the great mound, and they had climbed into this over a smaller mound that had once been a barricade. In this trench Todd had dug half a dozen holes, and in each of these holes there was a turf fire smouldering and now he turned and lifted the white stone and took from under it a little bag. This is the rest of the powder, he said, all there is and all there ever will be, for the secret will die with me. He rose to his feet and began to sprinkle it thickly over the burning turf in each of the little holes. Then he came back and spoke to the two boys. There are great memories, he said, stored in this hill. But they are fierce ones, and you'll need all your courage." Then he moved away from them toward the farthest of the fires, and Cuthbert felt a sort of change coming over the hill. He could see nothing, but it felt different, as if it were surrounded by a different sort of country—a savage country, with no railways in it, or roads, or parliaments, or policemen. Even the stars seemed to have grown younger and nearer the earth and more lawless, and then he heard voices filling the air about him, and a man shouting hoarse commands. He turned with a start and found himself among a crowd of naked and half-naked men, small men, with hair hanging over their shoulders, and bearded chins and glittering eyes. Some of them were painted with curious patterns, shining in dull colors from their skins and they were all pointing toward the darkness that lay like a sea round the sides of the hill. Then some of them spoke to him and asked him who he was, and he found that he could understand them and could answer them. And the man who had been shouting, and who seemed to be their leader, came and looked into his eyes. He laid his hands on Cuthbert's shoulders. "'Son of my sons,' he said, "'are you ready to fight with us?' And Cuthbert suddenly felt himself burning with anger, because he knew that they were going to be attacked. "'Of course I am,' he said, and then there was a great shout, and everybody rushed to the barricade, and there all round them, pricking out of the darkness, they could see helmets and the rims of shields. Cuthbert somehow knew that these belonged to the Romans, and that he hated them for invading his country—' and he was so excited that he had forgotten to notice what had happened to edward goldsmith he only knew that he had disappeared as for edward he had forgotten all about cuthbert for he had suddenly noticed that there were now trees growing halfway up the hillside and he had jumped over the barricade and run down to explore them when he got there he had found himself among an army of men marching up the hill behind locked shields and a young centurion with merry eyes had stooped and gripped him by the arm. "'Hallo,' he said, "'son of my sons, are you going to fight with us against these barbarians?' And Edward tangled all over with pride and said, "'Rather, you bet I am!' Then a great stone from the top of the barricade came leaping down the hillside and crushed one of the men in the front rank, but the others closed together and never stopped marching. When Cuthbert saw them he was blind with anger, and he knew in his heart that they were bound to win, and next moment they were over the parapet like a wave of hot and breathing iron. He heard groans and cries and the shouts of the British chief, and his eyes were full of tears as he beat at the Roman shields, and then he saw Edward and hit him in the face and made his nose bleed and knocked out two of his teeth edward struck back and gave cuthbert a black eye and the night was full of hewings and the flashings of swords and then everything was still again and the hill was empty and the stars were the same stars that they had always known squatting on the barricade with his arms round his knees they saw Todd the gypsy laughing at them and cuthbert rubbed his eye and edward sniffed hard to try and stop the blood running from his nose tod rose and stretched himself well you've had it out he said and so has the hill and now you'd better be off home so they said good-bye to him and they never saw him again and next morning when edward came down to breakfast his father scolded him for explaining that an ancient briton had hit him on the nose but cuthbert's daddy only stroked his chin when he heard that the Romans had given Cuthbert a black eye, because that was just the sort of thing he said that the Romans sometimes did, though they had many good qualities. Down the dead centurion's way, Todd the gypsy drives his shay. Roman, Briton, Saxon, Dane, Todd the gypsy hears them plain. Faint beneath the noonday chalk, Todd can overhear them talk. Fiercer than the stars at night, Chin to chin, he sees them fight. End of chapter eight.